Hey, everybody, as we gear up for 2020, I want to hear from you and the things that you'd like to see on this show. So if you have a question, a comment, a topic, a guest, any kind of suggestion for how I built it in 2020, let me know by going to howibuilt.it slash feedback. That's howibuilt.it slash feedback if you would like to see something on this show in 2020. And now on with the show. Do what you want. I mean, that's, I think the biggest thing that people leave out sometimes is themselves in their blog. The most important thing that you're going to bring to the world is yourself because your ideas very likely aren't going to be original in the sense that if you're blogging about a particular uh, lamb recipe, there's a very good chance that it may exist out there, but it's about bringing your own personality to it. I mean, how many times have we subscribed to a blog that the only thing that we liked about it was that the person had their own attitude? I was excited to reconnect with my friend Colin DeVrew on this episode. We met through the WordPress community in Scranton, and I joined the co-working space that he and his business partner, Kyle, created. In this episode, we get back to basics, and we talk about blogging. Uh, Colin has been on the internet for a very long time, nearly as long as you could be on the internet, actually. Uh, And so he's been blogging for just about that long. With the ever-changing landscape of web and social media, how important is it to have your own blog? That's the main question we answer, uh, and we're going to find out right after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Ahoy, the easiest way to increase customer engagement on your WordPress site. Install Ahoy, create a message box, configure where to display it, and start seeing conversions come in. You can create messages for cart abandonment, upsells and cross-sells, custom support, and so much more. Ahoy's flexible conditions let you choose exactly where and when you want your message to be displayed. I've recently installed it on my own WooCommerce site, and I've already seen increased engagement. And I know this because of Ahoy's powerful analytics and reporting. You will see ROI within days of installing Ahoy, if not sooner. And that's even more true for listeners of How I Built It. You can get an exclusive 20% discount on any plan. Visit useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and use the code howibuiltit at checkout. That's useahoy.com, U-S-E-A-H-O-Y, useahoy.com slash howibuiltit and the discount code How I Built It. Use those today. Increase your engagement and sales on your WordPress site. Thanks to Ahoy for their support of this show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is a good friend of mine from Scranton, Colin DeVrew. He is the Senior Vice President of Product and Marketing at Jujima. Colin, how are you? I'm excellent. How about you? I'm really excited to talk to you today. We've been too long. Yes, it has. I was thinking about this recently. Like I, you know, I, there's like a, a co-working space that's probably bikeable to, from my house. Yeah. And I just like, don't really want to go there, but I, I miss, <laughs> I miss the coal work days. Like yeah. I like going there for uh, those who don't know, Colin and I know each other through the kind of tech, Scrant- the Scranton tech community, the WordPress community. He and his business partner started a is it Scranton's first? I'm going to say Scranton's I, first. I would, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, of which I was a founding member, and we had a lot of fun there until I moved away. So. <laughs> we did. 
Coworking is great. So if people are listening to this while they're working from home and you just need to shake the box every now and then, I highly, highly, highly recommend finding a local coworking spot and getting involved. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, I mean, cause you know, I've said this before too, but a lot of people are like, I can just go to a coffee shop. Right. Um, but like, you don't get the community at a coffee shop. You get the leave me alone at yeah. a coffee shop. So yeah. yeah. Coworking spaces are, you know, you get, you, it's like you have coworkers, but they're not really coworkers. Yep. Cool. So why don't, why don't you tell all of us, right? Cause I don't, I don't think I know exactly what you're doing these days. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm an OG internet blogger. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I've been online since 94 and I've had various businesses throughout the years. And right now, currently I am working for a friend of mine's company called Jujima. My CEO is named Nadia Daly, and what we do is build mobile apps for events. So if you go to an event in Vegas, let's say to a WordPress camp, uh, WordCamp or to a, a WordPress event or something, and you can download an app that has an agenda on it, and you can see who is attending, and you can communicate with the speakers and all those sorts of things, that's the app that we currently build, and we manage to to have clients all over the world. So even just this week, we have events in Hawaii and Boston and South Africa and Dubai and Europe, and it's been really exciting. Um, I'm helping to run product and marketing there. And recently, we've begun retooling our entire mobile apps from the ground up. They're about 10 years old now, so it's about time in software years. That's about 150. So <laughs> it's about time that we have to start rebuilding everything. So I'm having a lot of fun not only uh, helping the team to start that project, but I actually did some hiring around that and we built a small team to rebuild our entire stack from the top to the bottom. So we could talk about that a little bit if you want. I know that's kind of what this podcast is about, is about the, the tools and the pieces. We're building our mobile apps again in React and we're redoing everything from infrastructure to our, our API to the client applications on all platforms. So it's been really, really fun this year to kind of focus in on that. Gotcha. Yeah, so that sounds really interesting. But uh, we, you, you mentioned that you're an OG blogger, and yes. I like that. <laughs> because the circumstances under which we met, you, were, you had a really interesting product for it was your own CMS, but it was also a plugin for WordPress. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It was called cool. Barley. And uh, it, so if anybody has ever seen Medium, and what I mean by seen Medium is if you go in and, and try to create a post, Medium has this kind of inline editor. Now, Gutenberg, obviously, for the hundreds of thousands of people that have installed that on their WordPress blog now, I think it ships by default, doesn't it now? Gutenberg? Yeah, Gutenberg is uh, yeah. as of 5.0, so okay. it's been about a year. Yeah, yeah. So, so pretty much anyone that's using WordPress right now probably has at least tried it and used it or turned it off, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, depending on what they think of it. But that kind of inline editing, Barley was kind of that piece, and we built a whole CMS around it that allowed you to, to kind of manage an entire website, not just blog, but create pages and forms and so on and so forth. So yeah, we, you know, we did that for a few years, but it, I don't use the term OG blogger too lightly. I, you know, I have been blogging for over 20 years, sometimes daily for runs of years at a time, and I can't ever imagine not doing it. So I don't throw that term around very lightly, Joe. Yes. No, I know. And, and I mean, a lot of the conversations that we had and, and some of your encouragements were around getting 
us in the co-working space to blog more often. Oh, I know 100%, that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, I was doing those uh, daily scrapples that you were, you were doing that I thought were, was pretty cool. And so I would love to kind of focus that conversation around that, right? Because I've been, you know, I'm working on a podcasting course. I've been like full in on podcasting for the last few years. And about a year ago in October, a year from this coming October, I guess, Seth Godin blogged on his blog that podcasting is the new blogging. But I, yeah. I think there's, you know, I think there's still a lot of value in, in the blog, but maybe we can talk a little bit about how it's changed since, since you started. I'm a little bit behind you. I think my first blog was, I called it a bootleg blogger because I just kind of copied the HTML from a blogger template and put it up on my GeoCity site in like 2002. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good, Joe. That's pretty OG yeah. right there. Yeah, right? That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but maybe you could talk about, I feel like you were more cognizant of it while you were doing it. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like a dumb 14-year-old. Um, <laughs> so how has it changed? Like, how has the landscape of blogging changed since you started? Well, man, blogging has changed so much. It's interesting that you say you were 14 in 2002. I was 14 when I also started what I would call a blog, but I was, it was 1994. And so, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but um, <laughs> not that bad, not that bad. Not that bad, no. But so the tools have changed, obviously. I mean, I was copying and pasting HTML as well back then. And there was a service called Tripod that the internet service provider that I used at the time owned. And they would give you like five megabytes of space for free so that kind of, I mean, nowadays some JavaScript libraries are five megabytes. So I would say that one one of the things is the the speed of the internet has in, changed incredibly since 1994. The space that you're able to use, I'm sure this podcast will run. I mean, what does your typical episode run? Uh, uh, 50 megabytes or 30 or something? Yeah, probably something like that. Okay, uh, so one episode was six yeah. accounts on an internet service in 1994. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we take that for granted nowadays, right? I mean, I can upload something to my website right now that's a gigabyte and I don't even think about it. And so so that's that's one big thing. But as far as like the actual method of blogging, you know, that doesn't really matter. It comes down to writing. And really, there's a couple of blog posts, which maybe I'll dig up for your show notes. I'm not sure how extensive your show notes usually are. But if you search my blog for writing is how I think, there are many bloggers that have covered this topic in the past, like Jeffrey Zeldman. And and there's a few others that are escaping my memory at the moment, because this (laughs) is probably about an eight or nine year old blog post at this point. But writing is how I think is kind of like, there are times where I'll start a blog post and my mind on a particular topic, my opinion will change by the time I'm finished writing it. So I start off with this real ranty, whatever kind of blog post sometimes, right? And then by the time I finish editing it and going over it and looking up other resources about it, I actually come full circle on it. Now, sometimes I won't even publish that, or sometimes I will literally change the entire post and then end up publishing it. So for me, the blog has been... I do not blog for money. I don't have any ads on my website. I I have some statistics on there only to know if anybody's linking to me. And so that way I can respond to them when they link to me. But I turn off all other statistics because I don't want to know. I don't care. I have some blog posts that have have been viewed millions of times and I don't write for that. So my personal blog and so many others that have been doing this for that long is about me being able to share my ideas 
about me being able to formulate and reaffirm my ideas and carrying on conversations with others. And in that way, I don't think that the core of blogging has changed at all that whole time since 1994. People are still sharing, you know, let's say you have a a home project where you're building a chicken coop or you're trying to help your kid fix their bike or you're doing this or you're doing that and people put that on their personal blogs or a vacation to Venice or something and those things will always be there. I think one other big change that has happened is that blog... What's not a blog now, right? The New York Times runs on WordPress. Right, the, right. The tech crunches of the world and so so forth are follow that same kind of reverse chronological blog paradigm. So I would say some of the bigger changes is that everything's a blog now, but the core blogging ethos really hasn't changed since since then. But all the tools have space, internet ubiquity, all that stuff, all those things change around it kind of. Yeah, that's okay. So great. There's a lot of stuff to parse out there, right? But I mean, you mentioned some of, you know, some of the people who are blogging for a long time. Zeldman is one of them. Jeremy Keith over at Adacto. Adactio? I've never pronounced that right. (laughs) But Jeremy Keith, you know, he's, he's kind of pioneered even in recent years, a few blogging things like the, not trackback links, but like the response links, right? Yeah, web Um, mentions. Web mentions. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then you have people like kotkey.org who have been, Yep. kind of professionally blogging since like 2005 mm-hmm. as far as like that was like when his like his full income i think it was 2005 or 2006 was made from his blog i was a subscriber at from kotki since the day since day 1 and a paying subscriber at both kotki and daring fireball and so many others yeah. that in that early 2000s went subscription model and yep. you got a t-shirt you got a, a some with daring fireball you actually got a card that said you were a card carrying paying member back then <laughs> oh that's amazing right yeah. and that's like i mean like a precursor to patreon right like sure. that's like all of that is like cert, like productized now but you know i think what you said is is right new york times is a blog and all of these other news outlets right they're like constantly pumping out content which is kind of what you said right it's about being able to share ideas so from here, maybe maybe it's a foregone conclusion that if you're on the web, you probably have a blog, but m- maybe it's not. Maybe most people still don't have a blog or they have a website where they don't regularly blog. What are some tips that you can give us for blogging regularly? Well, so I have a post. I just wrote a post on my site this week, actually, called Bad Reasons Not to Blog. Because I had seen a few, I actually am a member of Micro.blog, and that's kind of like a a service that Manton Reese has created that not only is a very simple blogging platform, if you're interested, it's kind of like a, it's as easy to use, I would say, as like a Twitter or a Tumblr, but it gives you your own domain name so you can own all your content, which is the important piece. But then it also does syndicate other blogs, so you don't have to use Micro.blog's publishing system in order to use it. I use WordPress and then just syndicate to it. Uh, very, very easy to do. All those words probably sound pretty complex to those out there that, that don't know what they mean, but it's very easy to use. But one of the conversations on there sometimes is that you know people are coming back to their blog all the time. Some people have 10-year-old blogs where you look and there's only like five posts in the last five or six years. And the reason is because the oxygen of the internet has been sucked up by Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and wherever else that people post. Instagram stories, Snapchat stories. So, you know, I think some of that is going to start leaking back out. Some of the privacy policies of these different companies are starting to, people are starting to get wise to them and they're like, well, I don't really want to be a Facebook member anymore. So 
maybe I'll pull some of this stuff somewhere else. But so there's reasons on there not to blog, but I do have a post from 2017 called my personal blogging tips. And if you have like writer's block, one of the best things that you can possibly do is create a new note in your note thing of application of choice. And just one day, write down an inspiration list. So write down all the things that you wished you blogged about and make the list like 50 things. Just keep writing. Don't worry about what it is, what it says. It could be cats, could be dogs, could be vacation, could be about, you know, the latest React, you know, JavaScript library if you're a, if you're a developer, or it could be about cooking or a recipe or whatever. Write all these things down. Then if you have a schedule of posting, say you say I want to publish Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and you don't know what to publish on Wednesday, look at that list and just grab a random one. A lot of times, once your fingers start moving, you'll figure it out, you know, at that point. It's, it's really about just starting to, to write. Uh, the other thing that I think holds up people is they, they're really scared of publishing sometimes. And I think I always say that publishing is a muscle that you, you know, it'll atrophy if you're not using it, but at the same time, it gets stronger if you are using it. So if you get used to putting stuff out and continue to do it on a regular schedule, it does get easier. That perfectionist in you will die eventually. And oftentimes it's the things that you put the least amount of worry into and the least amount of angst into or whatever, or, or that, that attention to detail, those sometimes resonate more. Think about a musician or a dancer or uh, what have you. It's when they lose themselves in the moment is when mm-hmm. people appreciate those things the most. Yes, they practice, 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 practice. But then when they're able to remove themselves from that moment and just start dancing or just start playing the guitar or whatever it might be, that's when they do their best work. So I would say the same thing goes for your blogging. If you're so focused on getting it perfect, it will never be. But if you let that energy run through you and you get that muscle working, 50, 60, 150, 450 posts in, you're going to be killing it. Like you mentioned Seth Godin. I know for a fact that he publishes daily. He's been publishing daily for years and years and years. And one of his tips is that he, he writes all of his posts whenever he feels like it. He's not sitting there at 7 o'clock in the morning and hitting publish at 7.05. He has like 50 drafts that are in some state of doneness and just publishes when they're ready. So that's probably my biggest tips. There's other tips that you can find there. But if you look up blogging tips on uh, cedarbrew.com, my first initial last name.com, then you'll, you'll find it. This episode is brought to you by Pantheon. Starting a new project? Looking for a better hosting platform? Pantheon is an integrated set of tools to build, launch, and run websites. Get high-performance hosting for your WordPress sites, plus a comprehensive toolkit to supercharge your team and help you launch faster. On Pantheon, you get expert support from real developers, best-in-class security, and the most innovative technology to host and manage your websites. You can sign up a new site in minutes with a free account. You only pay when it goes live. That is my second favorite feature to Pantheon, only to the easy ability to create dev staging and live servers and push to GitHub. It's very easy to set those things up on Pantheon. So you can head over to pantheon.io today again to set up a free account pay only when it goes live. Thanks so much to Pantheon for their support of this episode and this season of How I Built It. 
it makes sense what you're saying, right? In the broadcasting community, they say the same thing, right? Over the summer, Michael Kay, one of the, I mean, I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm going to say he's famous, but I mean, he's pretty, he has a show on ESPN. He's pretty well known. He's an announcer for a play-by-play announcer for the New York Yankees. And he had some vocal cord surgery over the summer. And so a guy who's like a year older than me or a year younger than me, Ryan Rucco, took over. And they were talking about, you know, kind of as a broadcaster, getting your reps in. They had like a broadcast night where kids were taking a broadcasting summer camp and they went to the game and they had their recorders and they were paired up and they were doing a play-by-play of the game as kids for nobody to hear but themselves because they were getting their reps in. It's the same thing with blogging. Just get your reps in. Yeah. And like I'm looking at Seth's blog right now, uh, Seth Godin's blog, and these these posts are longer than his usual blog posts, right? Like for a while there, he was blogging like three to four sentences. Yeah. And like I mean, maybe it's just the layout. Like maybe he changed his layout and it just looks longer. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you don't need 1,500 word tomes for your blogs, uh, for your blog posts. I think, you know, you listen to SEO experts and they'll say, oh, it needs to be between 900 and 1200 words to get good Google juice. But that puts a lot of pressure on you. Like if you, if you just want to write like 300 words, do it. Yeah. Um, obviously there's, there's no rules, right? So everything I'm saying, I'm saying in general, general terms and, and I'm generalizing things and, you know, do what you want. I mean, that's, I think the biggest thing that people leave out sometimes is themselves in their blog. The most important thing that you're going to bring to the world is yourself because your ideas very likely aren't going to be original in the sense that if you're blogging about a particular lamb recipe, there's a very good chance that it may exist out there, but it's about bringing your own personality to it. I mean, how many times have we subscribed to a blog that the the only thing that we liked about it was that the person had their own attitude. You know, Kotke is an example of that. I mean, he's curating the web for everybody for the last 20 years and trying to show you some of the interesting things. And if we weren't interested in the things that we he was, then we just wouldn't subscribe to it. And so Seth Godin's blog, you know, I think some of the length is coming from the fact that he just started a podcast. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. When you start a podcast like this, I guarantee that if you listen to this podcast back – you'd have 50 blog posts written just in what we're talking about. Um, And I think that him getting his mouth moving probably has lended itself to some of these slightly longer posts than we're used to from him. That's a really good point, right? And I think it touches on another really good topic, which is around like repurposing your content, right? You know, if you're a YouTuber or you're a uh, podcaster and you're like, well, I just don't have enough content for my blog, just take that, like take a transcript of either one of those and finesse it into a good article and publish that link to the original source. And maybe you'll get more views. It's like you said, Colin, like it doesn't need to be original, but it needs to have a unique spin on it. Right. Yeah. And one other little tip for that, as far as syndicating across different platforms, the idea is what you're spreading. The medium changes with each platform. So if you have a, a recipe, you may share that recipe as a description, a set of instructions, and a list of ingredients on your blog with maybe a photo or two. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, it could be a, a top-down, you know, stop-motion, whatever that they do on Instagram for recipes. Right. You've all seen them, right? Where right. within 15 seconds, they make the entire dish. And then some instructions underneath. On Twitter, it could be a tweet storm of the instructions. Uh, who knows? But... 
you can you can take the exact same idea or content and just say how does this fit within that medium which is different on every platform and repurpose it for all of those things and the same thing could be said about a, a rough idea uh, not all things have to exist on all platforms but if you if that's what you're trying to accomplish then you can easily do that yeah and i th- i think that's great and to that point you mentioned all of these platforms but your blog can also be the one true source it should be, I would say. Yeah, right. I, you know, I don't do a good job of this, but I could have a new blog post every day. You know, my regular blog posts, the YouTube videos, I should automatically create a post of my YouTube videos on my blog. I should automatically create a post on my blog every time a new episode publishes. Yeah. And then that's like my life feed, right? People can go to castabona.org and see all of the content that I've done that yeah. week. Yeah, so there are, I have a war in my brain about this particular topic because the nerd in me wants me to save everything on my domain name. Yeah. And so, and coming from 1994 when I literally was saving every single pixel that I could, you know, if you look at someone like Tantic Chelik, which I think that's the way you say his name. It could be Selick. I'm not exactly sure, but he works for Mozilla. He started and helped found the indie web. He's on the W3C team, but I think it's tontic.org. And Jeremy Keith and several others that are part of the indie web movement, they would say that you publish to your website first and that you let it syndicate everywhere. And in indie web terms, they call that posse. And posse is just publish on your own site, P-O-S, and syndicate everywhere, S-E. I have a slightly different opinion about this because the tooling of this is actually very difficult. To be able to publish just to your blog and then have it automatically go everywhere and look the way you want it to, for me, it gets a little exasperating. It's a little overwhelming. So I want the tweet to look exactly the way that I want. I want the microdot blog post or the Tumblr post or the Facebook, whatever, whatever it is that you're syndicating to. I want it all to look the right way. And so I have a hard time just like letting a WordPress plugin tweet for me and stuff because sometimes it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been beginning to view each of these platforms. Yes, my blog is the most important and I want it. I want to save everything that I think is worthy of saving there so that I own it and it's my data and I can link to it forever as long as I keep paying, you know, DigitalOcean my $4 every month or whatever it is. Yeah, right. So I would like it to stay there forever for the things, but I kind of view Twitter now as a bar, right? If you go to the bar and you have a couple of drinks with your friends and you're having this great conversation about who knows what, it will never go anywhere other than that. Mm -hmm. Is that a bad thing? Does it need to be recorded? Why aren't your visits to the bar from 2000, whatever, available everywhere? Well, because those are just ephemeral things. There are things in our life that are ephemeral. And it's okay for me personally that Twitter is ephemeral. I, when I post a tweet, I don't think about it as, I hope I have this forever. You can save your Twitter archive and you can publish it to your blog and do all that. But I don't care as much about my Instagram story that my mom is going to look at as much as I do about my blog. So I view each of the platforms as their own thing and I publish to them accordingly. The same way as if I was to stand at a podium and speak to 400 people, I would like that to be recorded. But if I'm standing at a bar, chit-chatting with my buddy over a couple of beers, I don't care if that ever goes. In fact, I would prefer it not to go anywhere. So so I don't mind those platforms being ephemeral. And so that's kind of how I deal with it. Although there are others 
that are a little bit more, and, and, I, and I think that there's a balance probably somewhere in between those two things. So I definitely recommend you looking up the IndieWeb movement, if, that, if that's in the show notes, IndieWeb.org, and that's where you're going to see things that Joe mentioned, like web mention or, you know, being able to connect, you know, you could even do following and liking and everything on your own site and have it be where you're connected to Mastodon and Twitter and everything now, which is really awesome if you have the time to kind of go through and do all that. And it's getting better all the time. Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I really love what you said about Twitter being ephemeral, right? Because I was the same way for a while. I was like, I need to save all my tweets. Like these are thoughts that I had, but it was earlier this year, Yoast DeVolk held YoastCon and there was like some drama around stuff he tweeted back in 2008. Yeah. Um, and it was like inside jokes sure. with other people in the community. Maybe they were inappropriate. They were, I mean, everything is inappropriate by 2019 standards. Um, <laughs> and he got in trouble for something that he tweeted 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I found a service called Tweet Eraser, and I, I just deleted every <laughs> tweet from like 2016 back through 20, uh, 2006 when I started. Right. Because I'm like, I don't remember tweeting anything like that or anything inappropriate, but who the hell knows? You know, James Gunn nearly lost the Guardians. Like He did lose the Guardians of the Galaxy job yeah. for a, a, an amount of time for some joke he made. Kevin Hart got lampooned for jokes he made that he subsequently apologized for, but the apology isn't attached to the tweet. Right. So like this, this is the trouble with the internet as it stands. I mean, obviously someone can stand on a street corner and spout off anything that they want and only a certain number of people will see it. And that number of people may never even remember it. And it doesn't exist in the, in perpetuity. The EU recently passed a law that says that you should be able, that the internet should forget you, that you should. So, so these rules are changing. The privacy laws are changing. I don't think that's an excuse for people to say things that are, that are, sure. you know, whatever, but, no. um, but at the same time, the internet does not follow the same rules as the world does <laughs> right, at, the, at, right. the, at this time. So things are catching up. The internet is very young. It's one of the things that sometimes us OGs are do forget is because we've been online for so long. It's still very, very, very young. I mean, right. only being around for 35, 40 years, whatever it's been that, that the, you know, the oldest version of the internet even existed, it has a long way to go. So in a few hundred years, it may catch up with all of the other rules and regulations that we have, you know? Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, like, like the World Wide Web existed in 91. It was invented, yep. but it wasn't in people's living rooms widespread right. until like the late 90s, yeah. maybe even early 2000s. Like, so yeah, you're absolutely right there. And, and you're right. I mean, like that's not an excuse for saying inappropriate things, but the bar today by which we measure inappropriateness will probably change in 20 years. And sure. so maybe something I'm saying right now on this podcast has been deemed inappropriate by the fine people of 2040. Uh, and, uh, you know, what if I get in trouble for that? But in any case, that's neither. That's a whole other podcast. Sure. <laughs> We're talking about blogging. And when we've covered a, a lot of ground here. And so I'm, I want to ask you what you think the future of blogging is, right? We kind of looked at its past. We looked at its present and how we have all of these different platforms where we can produce content and that content can serve as kind of our blog and we can centralize it. But what does the future of blogging look like? Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that you say that because of course there's always a blog post I can point to. That's the nice thing too. <laughs> One of the nicest things about having a blog, if you take the time to jot down your ideas, 
you can, I mean, you might be wrong. You might be right. You might be somewhere in the middle. I have a blog post from 2004 called The Future of Blog, or 2014 called The Future of Blogging. You can look that up. And my first sentence is, I don't know what the future of blogging is. So take it from there if anybody wants to read that. But essentially, I kind of go in and I talk about the decentralization of blogging. And I think that's really starting to come to the fore. I don't think anyone ever considered their Twitter account a blog. But guess what? It's exactly what it is. It was mm-hmm. started as a micro-blogging platform. That's exactly what they called it back then. And so technically, everyone that publishes to their Facebook account, to their Twitter account, Instagram account is blogging. I, thought, I think it's kind of funny because when... I had my own personal blog and there was eight people online. I remember people thinking I was nuts for, for having a blog. And today, people think that you're nuts for having your own domain name and blogging there rather than on Instagram. But they're right. blogging on Instagram. They don't realize it. They're sharing their latte. Then they're sharing that they're at the beach. Then they're sharing that they're here, they're there. And they have a little story underneath. And they're commenting and their friends are having a conversation. How is that not blogging? I mean, you know. Right. So That used to be called photo blogging. Yes. And now it's just an app, right? Just like Instagram stories or YouTube, they used to be called vlogging. Now it's just you're a YouTuber or you're posting an Insta story. Yes. So I think the, the decentralization of blogging is going to continue to get more bifurcated. So it's going to continue to split and split and split and split and split. And each of them will have their own flavors of things, which I think is a good thing. Like you look at something like Mastodon, which on Mastodon, for anyone that has looked into it, it, it looks a lot like Twitter on the on the outside. But what it allows people to do is create their own instance. So imagine if you could take Twitter all of the pieces of Twitter, being able to tweet, being able to retweet and reply and all that. And you could have your own and have it be only about gardening or have your own and have it only about tattoos or about this or about that, right? That's what Mastodon lets you do, except it lets you follow everyone across all of those. So you can belong to a gardening Mastodon instance and follow people from every other Mastodon instance, and in fact, Twitter uh, accounts now, I think. You can follow micro.blog accounts. You can follow blogs on there. And micro.blog, by the way, also has these features. If you have a micro.blog account, you can follow Mastodon accounts. You can follow blogs. All blogs that have an RSS feed are already on micro.blog. So if you do a search for anybody's domain name, like your howibuilt.it, is already on there if you type it in, blah, blah, blah. And if it's not, I think it's just one button to add it or something. But as long as it has a feed that it can read, it should be able to create that. So I think that's what we're going to start seeing is, is this you know splitting of where you publish what. Will you belong to more than one? Maybe. Could you belong to more than one? Yeah, you should be able to. I think the last thing that has to happen, though, is people have to own their data. I think even Facebook, if you fast forward seven years from right now, let's mark a calendar. I think seven years from today, you're going to see that Facebook lets you completely own your data in some way. I think they're going that way. Mark Zuckerberg kind of put a flag in the ground uh, about four or five months ago with a blog post that said that they're going to go private first for all things like WhatsApp and Instagram and Facebook. They're going to go end-to-end encryption for all of those platforms. And so I think slowly but surely, I don't know if Facebook will ever let you have your own domain name. I think they should have a long time ago. I think people's Facebook pages for their businesses should have been their domain name a long time ago. I do not know why they didn't do that. They could have charged anything and made that money. That's like a crazy vertical because there are there are businesses today that 
their website is their Facebook page. Yes, and I use Facebook only to find people's like like a restaurant that what are they what are their specials today and so forth. That's mm-hmm. what I use Facebook for. Mm, and so why is that not really really easy to make it so that when I type in Chips Diner that it goes right to their Facebook page? Right. So I, I, that may come. I hope that comes. I think that should come for people's accounts. So why can't cedarvu.com be my my Facebook profile if that's what I would want and own that data, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I think that's the that's the future of blogging is that it's going to get more split up than ever, which to some may seem overwhelming, confusing, but I think that's good to have that choice of platform. You can you can kind of rally behind the platforms that you want to support more than ever. I think Twitter's free speech rules and the way that they enforce them is really going to end up hurting them because they're creating their own rules that are above and beyond the country that they exist in. And I understand why, because they're a global platform. So the same free speech rules do not exist in India as they do here in the US. And so I don't know what choice they have. I don't know what tips or tricks or recommendations I would give to them. But the fact that they are enforcing rules that go beyond the US constitution is going to make it very interesting where people are going to be forced to move to other platforms just to be able to say what they feel like saying. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. This episode is brought to you by Cloudways. Are you facing performance and security issues or launching your ambitious project with WordPress? Look no further. Cloudways has got you covered. Their managed WordPress hosting is the best choice for websites looking for ultimate speed, advanced security, and 24-7 expert support. Now, a lot of hosts promise a lot of things, but they have a whole bunch of features to choose from, including cloud providers like DigitalOcean, Amazon Web Services, and Google Cloud. And you can quickly and easily get up and running with your WordPress website without the need to be a system admin. You get a CDN, scalability, staging, and backups out of the box. I recently set up a WordPress website on AWS with Cloudways, and it was by far the easiest experience I have ever had with AWS. Cloudways works as an extended team for individuals and businesses, handles all of the server management, and lets you focus on building amazing websites for your ever-growing business. If you like what you've heard, start with a three-day free trial of Cloudways now. And don't forget to use the promo code HIBI20 for a free $20 hosting credit. Head over to howibuilt.it slash cloudways today. Maybe we'll have to tread lightly here, but we both have some connection to the social media website Gab. Do you oh, think? Yeah. Do you think that? I mean, I should say I'm not a user. The founder just happened to be from Scranton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not a user either, and I, I don't know much about the platform other than he founded it, uh, Andrew Torba, and uh, he just happened to be from our area. That's uh, you know. Yep. I remember the, my, I didn't have much of an impression of him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, Gab has gone in the complete other direction, sure. right? Where like you could basically say whatever you want there. Yeah. So well, I'm, I, not, I'm not a free speech activist or the opposite of that, really. I think, right. I think the, if the Constitution allows that to exist, then it should right. exist. That's, right. that's kind of my opinion. Is if someone wants to talk about whatever they want to talk about on some other website, 
our constitution does not allow me to have any objection to that. Yeah. So, but that does not mean that it can exist in India or in North Korea or right. China or whatever else. Right. So, you know, that's kind of the, uh, the world that we live in and the country that we live in. And so you have to take, you have to be able to take that if, if we live in the U S that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. I mean, and you do, I mean, you're gonna, you know, I think last year around this time we were having some trouble with WordCamp Philly. One of our sponsors was hosting like neo-Nazi websites and we didn't want them to be a, a sponsor anymore, but you know, there was a whole big back and forth about that. And, and it's just a very interesting conversation to have. Again, that's like, you know, we'll have to do a three-part series now. Hey, but, I'm down for it. I could talk about blogging all day, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we didn't even get uh, to RSS I, readers. No, we didn't. I was going to wrap up with that, okay. uh, you know, before I ask you my favorite question. Okay. You know, uh, RSS, I, I, I've seen a little bit of a RSS reader renaissance. Sure. Lately in the, you know, people are like moving away from Twitter and going back to RSS. Yeah. I'm trying to do the same thing. When I explain what a podcast app is to people, a podcast app is just a glorified RSS reader. Sure. So, I mean, so I guess, what are your general opinions about that? What can we, what can we expect from RSS in, in the near future? I've had to temper my expectations for RSS readers over the years. I find them useful. I have since RSS was invented. In fact, here's a little short story for you, Joe. I tried my hardest to get onto the board of the RSS 2.0 consortium in like 2003 (laughs) with Dave Weiner and all those guys, uh, Adam Curry and a few others, because this is, by the way, RSS 2.0, for those that don't know, is when they added the enclosure tag, which allows things like podcasts to exist. Mm -hmm. Um, If it wasn't for the fact that you could quote unquote, embed an MP3 in an uh, in a RSS feed, you would never have anything like what we're doing right here. So I tried to get on the board of the RSS consortium because I had opinions about what should be in RSS. I didn't get on the board. I was like, I don't know, 21 <laughs> or something or 22 <laughs> at the time. And they were like, get away. They, some, they were swatting me. Kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, who knows what RSS, I probably would have ruined the internet at the time. I, the <laughs> podcast would have never came out or who knows what. So RSS I'm, should just be this. Yeah, exactly. It should yeah. just say Colin on every RSS feed. <laughs> but um, so anyway, going back to, to, the, to my expectations, I cannot envision a future where I do not use an RSS reader. But that does not mean that my wife will ever use one that she knows of. So if she opens Google News, Apple News, or any of these other news things, they're all RSS readers. Um, And people don't know that. Or what's the uh, Flipboard? And and these are massively popular apps, right? Apple News probably has 50 million daily active users or something, or maybe more, I don't know. Google News. Some people even pay for it now. Yeah, people pay for it, which they're (laughs) syndicating content right. from from magazines and yep. uh, news outlets and such and they're doing it with a slightly extended specification of RSS right and so i think more people are using RSS than ever before they don't know they are i think but i do believe that there are a subset of users right now that would really enjoy using something like feedly or inno reader or net newswire if you visit multiple websites every week to see what the latest stuff is, you can stop doing that by going to feedly.com 
or feedbin.com or inoreader.com or I don't know. What's your favorite one right now? Uh, Feedly is the one I use, though I'm very curious about NetNewsWire. I have a strong requirement that uh, it has to work on both Mac okay. and, and iOS. Okay, so iOS app is coming very soon. It's open source now, NetNewsWire. Brent Simmons is the one that created it. NetNewsWire is super OG. Yeah. Uh, in yeah, the- as of this recording, 5.0 like, just came out. Right. And so NetNewsWire runs on your Mac and does not need a cloud-based service to run. It can, it can store your subscriptions right on your Mac, grab those RSS feeds, show you a really cool version of it, and, and, and work that way. It's coming for iOS as well, as far as I know. I think the most recent episode of the talk show with John Gruber is Brent Simmons and John Gruber oh, talking nice. about NetNewsWire, so you might want to link that up. But the feed bins of the world, I think, I think NetNewsWire already syncs with Feedbin, but it will sync with Feedly soon, so maybe you want to wait until that point release mm-hmm. comes out and then hook up that way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, my expectation for RSS is that there's going to be a subset, maybe 5% of the internet user base, and that's probably being generous, that will love it and be diehard RSS users. There is a subset of probably 75 to 90% of the internet that's going to use RSS and not know it. And that's just... You know, uh, I think Brent Simmons calls RSS just the piping. It doesn't matter. That's yeah. how you're getting it. We don't care where our we don't we don't know that when we turn our faucet how far the water travels through the right. pipes to get to us. And so that's kind of what RSS is. Yeah, that's that's great. That's a fantastic analogy. I think it's absolutely true. Like uh, like you said, you know, more people are using RSS than they ever before, but they don't know it. You know, for a while, I felt that RSS was going to be like the way that I, as a programmer, would get information from other people's sites. Sure. And then, like, REST APIs happened. Um, yeah. And, like, JSON happened. But, you know, it, it, you're listening to this podcast right now. If you are doing it in a podcast reader and not on the website, you are using an RSS reader. Sure, uh, yeah. If, if you're in Pocket yeah. Cast or Overcast or even right. Apple's uh, Apple podcast, podcast, whatever yeah. it is, you're using RSS and you don't even know it, which is right. fine. I think that's, you know, that's, yeah, they, that's they the created that's, it for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. They, they did that. They changed the spec a little bit for their, for podcasts, for iTunes, yes. right? That's yep. how you got podcasts. And they did the same thing for Apple news. And then Google just kind of reads everything, right? Yes. I mean, like some of the, inf- like, you know, if you, if you search for a podcast on an Android phone, you will get podcast episodes directly in the search results because they're grabbing your podcast RSS. Yes. So, you know, I think I, I, that it's all just very interesting to me. I, I love those thoughts. I'm going to make a commitment right now as we speak to use RSS more, like make it part of my habit because I haven't. I just kind of like find stories on Twitter when I'm browsing Twitter, but I'm reading deep work right now and I want to be less distracted and uh, having like dedicated reading time in the morning via RSS will be better than just like catching stories on Twitter when I catch them. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I I'm kind of addicted to it. I've I've always had a few hundred subscriptions over the years. Every now and then I do go in and I delete all of my subscriptions at one time mm-hmm. and then start over. And the re- I do the same thing on Twitter. Uh, yep. you've probably noticed that. But yeah. the reason why I do that is because I don't like to create an echo chamber. Yeah. So I don't like to have the same people instructing my opinions over time. And so I delete everything and start off fresh and whatever cream rises to the top I get. So that's my kind of my personal little thing to keep myself from being too dogmatic about things or what have you. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I try to I try to keep my the number of people I'm following to 300 
I strictly adhere to that because again, I don't want the noise. Isn't that so. like double Dunbar's? Is it Dunbar? Is it Dunbar? Yeah, maybe Dunbar's um, rule or something like that. Yeah, it it's something like that. Dunbar's I, I, number is it's called. Which uh, is, I think um, is less than I. It's way less than three hundred. What is Dunbar's number? Oh yeah, like the number it's of 150. people you can associate with, right? It's yeah. one hundred and fifty stable relationships. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't consider anything on Twitter a stable relationship. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> um, no. I, I took that rule from uh, my friend Chris Lemma, um, yeah. who does the same thing. Because like there are people following like thousands of people. I'm like, how do you get anything? Yeah, like uh, you rely on Twitter's algorithm, I guess. Which shows so me. So I do that. things a little bit differently than you, Joe. I don't know how many people I follow because I just follow a couple of accounts. That's it. Right, but right. I have lists for everything. Right. So I have uh, a yes. list yes. for local stuff, all the local businesses, all the local people, all the local everything that's on Twitter that I can possibly find. I throw them in a local list. And that way, when I want to see, like, what's going on at the local festival or whatever it is, I have a Twitter list for that. I have one called Lump of People. And it's literally everyone that I've ever met, like shaken hands with. Yeah. I throw into this thing. And every now and then I just dive into it. Oh, what's going on with Tim that I met at a random event way long ago or whatever? Just interesting to see what's kind of going on. I have one for creativity and inspiration. So people that only share inspiring tweets or really creative art or what, you know, music paintings, so on and so forth. I throw everything into that and I have a few other lists, but yeah, I I split everything into lists. I can look at the lists anytime I want and I, and they don't, I don't, I can go weeks without looking at them, which is nice. Nice. That's fantastic. So, well, we are, I mean, we're a little bit over time, but that's okay. I do want to ask you my favorite and final question though, which is, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets. Oh man. Give me an example. Like, Um, most people, first of all, you did the thing that I, I hope everybody does, which is say the word trade secrets in that like grandiose fashion. <laughs> I want to do like a, a, like a cut of everybody saying it. It's, I say trade secret, but it's just like generally good advice that they, that has helped them. So it could be like, don't read the bad comments early in the morning. I think it was like one of the first ones I see from the show. Yeah. Um, I'll give you two. All right. One is blog whether that's for your company or for yourself, uh, find a reason to blog. It will help you think and, and communicate and build an audience and everything. There, there, is, there are so many reasons to blog. I really can't, unless you're a, a spy of some sort, I can't think of any reason not to blog. So that would be, and since it's on topic with what we talked about today. Yeah. The other thing I would say is something that Joe and I both do, which has really changed a lot for me, is bullet journaling. Definitely do a bullet journal. If you're ever, if you ever have anxiety about what you have upcoming or what your tasks are, if you don't know when you're going to fit in that workout or you don't know when you're going to finally get to work on that talk that you have to give at the coming upcoming event, whatever it might be, bullet journaling makes it so that you can let the anxiety of what you need to do go and only focus on what you need to do for the day and have time slots for things that are coming up. So I would recommend, it's a free thing. You don't need to buy any particular kind of notebook or anything. You can use the piece of paper that's in front of you right now. If you go to bulletjournal.com, 
you can find out the instructions on how to do it. I'm sure Joe has blog posts that he should link to that he's covered bullet journaling. And, and I, my, my wife and I have modified the, the, we created something called a weekly index now. So like one open page, one full spread of a page is now our weekly index. So the whole week is on one spread, which I love, but that that's kind of taking the bullet journal method and then just kind of tweaking it for yourself. That makes you work good. But that, that'd be my other tip. Yeah, I will link to, I uh, did like my organization tools as of earlier this summer. Yeah. I will link to that because I have modified the bullet journal method a little bit, but usually helpful. Colin, it is always good to talk to you. I'm glad we got to catch up. Yeah. Uh, where can where can people find you? I know I'm going to link to a million of your blog posts, but you know, say it for the transcript. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I would say cedarvu.com is where you can start for everything. If you have an upcoming event and you're an event organizer and you're listening to this, please consider using Jujima's app. If you go to our website, you can see kind of what we do, but it can really, really help your event to encourage attendee interactions and, and so forth. So um, that, that would be great if, if people could look that up. But yeah, I would say cedar.com for everything. And that's it. Don't worry about all the other things because they're going to die anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't yeah, follow me. Definitely. Follow me Don't on Twitter me. if you want to, but who yeah. cares? It's going to be gone someday. Yeah, exactly. My website's going to last through For- the dystopian future. Forever. Forever. I will link to those and all of the fantastic links we talked about over in the show notes at howibuilt.it. Thanks so much, Colin. I really appreciate your time. It's been awesome, man. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much to Colin for joining me this week. I love talking to Colin. As a matter of fact, when we were in the co-working space, uh, there were certain days where my productivity were way was way low uh, just because we spent the whole day talking about whatever, doing stuff. Uh, but it was, it was uh, fantastic. So um, this episode is rich with links, mostly from Colin's blog, but lots of other stuff too. Uh, so you can be sure to find all of those over at howibuilt.it slash 148. Uh, and I, I think that it's probably not a secret at this point that, um, you know, it's, it's blogging is important. Having your own platform and owning your own platform because of everything that's happening uh, with other platforms like Medium and Facebook and whatever, Twitter. Um, it's really important to own your own platform. So as Colin said, blog for your company, for yourself, find a reason. Uh, even if it's just a scratch pad, you know, even if you don't want to make it public, there are great apps like Day One out there to help you uh, just get your thoughts out and, and get those reps in for writing. So uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, you can find everything we talked about over at howibuilt.it slash 148. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Ahoy, Cloudways, and Pantheon. They make the show happen, so definitely check them out. If you liked this episode, please subscribe, give us a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as I said at the very, very top of the show, uh, I have big plans for 2020. I want to be more intentional about the content that I'm giving you. And that means that I need to hear from you. So if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, a question or a guest you'd like to suggest, then uh, head over to howibuilt.it slash feedback and let me know. It's a simple two field form, your email address so I can respond and the feedback that you'd like to give. Again, that's over at howibuilt.it slash feedback. 
As always, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>